0: So last week, I was, uh, we had the opportunity to minister over another church uh, in town here, uh, Meadowwood Baptist Church, of uh, good friends of ours. Uh, Pastor Bill was on vacation, uh, and it just it worked out well where uh, I could go over there and uh, speak to that congregation, and uh, Pastor Michael did a great job here, listened to his sermon, and it was really good, and I have a, a map. Uh, as well, but I don't have the fancy ship that he had on his map, so, so my map is deficient, I understand, uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I really appreciated his handling of the text, and um, this is our last sermon in the book of Acts, our series, and we've done an overview, uh, so we've kind of hit a lot of territory, longer passages of scripture, we've read through them all, but today, we have like 20 verses, and that's it. And you're going to say, Jeremy, what are you going to do? You only have to read 20 verses of Scripture. What are you going to do here? So uh, this is uh, where we're back into kind of our, our, our normal uh, rhythm here. So we're going to finish this uh, this series uh, today. And uh, this has been a... I've really enjoyed studying the book, and hopefully it's been a, a help to you. Um, I, I put the map up there because in a minute we're going to read the text, and then you're going to see uh, a little bit of these uh, places that are mentioned And just to give you a visual of where they're at, they they begin the journey on ship, and then they end the journey on land, and we'll see that in the text that we're reading today here. Um, So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and uh, ask God's blessing on the time, and then we're gonna read the text. Uh, Well, actually, let me read the text first, and, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing. So I'm gonna pick up in verse 11 of of Acts chapter 28, and if you picked up a Bible on the way in or one of the Bible's there. It's page 937, Acts 28, verse 11. It says this. It says, Now after three months, uh, remember they were on the island of Malta. Now after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. I'm thinking that's how you pronounce it. After one day, a south wind came up or sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petolia. I'm guessing on that pronunciation as well. Uh, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Epitus and the three taverns to meet us. And seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we, came by, when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our father, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported uh, or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they appointed a day for him, they uh, uh, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced... By what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here's the statement The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and he quotes Isaiah, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, let it, let it be known to you this, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's how Luke finishes his story. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask for your blessing now as we look at this text of Scripture. I pray that I would communicate in a way that is helpful, is accurate, is clear. Father, I pray that we would have, uh, uh, that our hearts would be drawn towards you, that we'd be free from distraction And God, we need your spirit to guide us and lead us during this time. And so I I need your help as a communicator and everyone who is listening in person or online. Uh, We need your uh, spirit to guide us and to to teach us. And at the end of this day, at the the end of this hour when we are uh, finishing up here, Lord, I pray that it would be said that you were exalted and honored and glorified and that we have a better appreciation for who you are and uh, a greater love for you. And only your spirit can do that. So, Father, thank you for this day and how that we can gather here and, and worship and we can broadcast this. And, and thank you for the, the national day that it is of Mother's Day. And we're grateful for uh, motherhood. And uh, we know that today brings joy. It brings uh, also some sorrow at times as well for various reasons. And, but, Lord, we're just so grateful for the gift of mothers. And we pray that... Uh, that we would honor uh, that gift of motherhood today. So thank you. Thank you for our opportunity to look at your word and to proclaim the gospel. And Father, I think of uh, one lady in our church. uh, She asked us to pray for her daughter. Marie asked for her daughter to pray for Kathy, who's very sick right now. And so she's on my heart, and so we pray for her. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Have you ever watched a movie and then been disappointed with the end of it. That happened to me once, uh, probably more than once, but there's one particular example that I can remember where the ending of the movie was incredibly disappointing to me. Now, some of you think I am going to speak heresy right now. If I say anything negative about the Lord of the Rings, okay? Now, notice that this is the first movie. I have to confess. I have to confess my ignorance, okay? This, this, this. I am not proud of this. Growing up, I knew nothing of J.R. Tolkien. I knew nothing. I knew nothing of the Lord of the Rings, okay? I don't know how I lived in that bubble. I don't know how I was sheltered. I don't know how that happened. But I went through grammar school, I went through junior high, I went through high school. I'm ashamed to say I went through college. I knew nothing of the Lord of the Rings, okay? Then, then right after I'm out of college, they're making these movies, right? They're taking the books and making them into movies. I'm mean, ashamed of my ignorance here, the level of my ignorance. The first time I saw the movie, I didn't even know there were books, okay? You know, and so so Anouk and I, we watched this first one together. Now, Anouk is much more cultured than me. You know that. You know that, right? She's much more sophisticated, so she knew all of this, right? And so we watched this movie together. When it first comes out, it came out, and we wait, came out, and then it, we waited long enough, and it came out on disc, and then she was, like, saying, hey, I've heard good things about this, and, and we should watch this movie. And so I'm down for it. And so, yeah, we start watching it. You know, I... I think one of the characters is a little whiny. But, you know, okay, I can get through that. And so, you know, we get through it and everything. I'm like, now I'm getting into the story, right? I'm getting into the character. And so I'm like, he's got to take this ring, right? This is his job. He's got to do this. And so we get to the, I'm like, here he is. He's going. He's going to do this. And then the movie ends. He doesn't do anything with the ring yet, you know? And I, I said to Anuk, I said, what, what? that's it and she's like well this is the first movie I said there's more and she said she goes well well, there's three I said well let's get another one she's like they haven't made it yet what (laughs) I said what are you doing to me here you know they haven't made it yet you know she's like well they're making it she goes you do realize they're made they're based on books right yeah, yeah, I knew that. I knew that, yep, 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 No, I didn't know that. And so I was, so there's just this moment in my life where I just remember thinking, this can't be the end of the story, right? This, this can't be it. You know, when you come to Luke's account here, you get a similar feeling at times, right? I mean, I mean here, the whole goal, of Paul getting to Rome. He's like, I got to go to Rome. I'm going to go to Rome. Jesus is saying, you're going to stand before Caesar in Rome. Don't worry what's going to happen. And so Paul takes courage with this. And so he goes to Rome. You heard last week the devoids there, the end of this, the shipwreck. I mean, the guy gets bit by a snake, okay? Uh, I mean, things happened. If it couldn't get any worse, everything was going wrong. And so we finally get to Rome And so you get to this text, the scripture here You know, in uh, what verse is it? It is verse um, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, verse 14 At the end it says, and so we came to Rome It's like an understatement, Dr. Luke Okay, you know, so Luke who's writing this He gets here and then What happens? We we, we don't know I mean, he gets to Rome And he has a conversation But it, it just ends And we don't know if he stands for Caesar So, you know this is how Luke decided to end his account here, okay? Now we're going to talk about why that is later on in the sermon. But at the but what I wanted to do today is I was thinking about this is uh, is I was thinking that you know he could have continued the story because we know that he knew more. One of the reasons why he we know that he knew more is because he says in verse 30 that Paul was there for two whole years okay? And so he must know that something came after two years to know that two years was the ending point of his time there. And so we know and by timelines, we know that Luke knew some other things that were happening there, but he, 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 he could have continued, but he chose not to. And, and he chose to end his account here at verse 31. And, and we know that Luke is a, is a careful, principled historian and so we can only assume that he had very intentional reasons for ending the account right here where he did. And so this really got me to thinking as I was studying for the sermon today. I, I I was thinking, you know, when our story is done, or at least an account of it, what would be said of us as a church here? What 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 would I love for us to be said of us when when someone ends the account of us? Uh, or, or our story does end, or at least the, the chronicle of it, like that, that point up into this history, if someone were to write about our history and then end it at a certain point, what would I want them to say of us? What would I want them to say about me? And so I think this text helps us with this. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share four things that I believe that uh, I just really, it's my desire that when our story is told as a church, this is what would be, what I'd love for it to be said of us, okay? And it's only going to happen by God's grace. So, so four things when our story is told, what should be said of us looking at this text here? First of all, is this, that God receives the credit and the glory, okay? I want that to be said of our church, so no matter what happens in our church, if anything positive happens, we understand it's not because of personality, it's not because of wisdom or skill. God can use those things, but ultimately, it is about God's glory, and He gets the credit, and He gets all the praise. Now, how do I get there? Okay, well, first of all, in verse 11 of the text that we read here, Luke, being the careful historian he, he puts a detail in there. You don't really think much about it, but if you look at verse 11, it says that after three months, they set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island uh, uh, on the island, and the ship was in of Alexandria, and it says, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Now, why would Luke include that in his story there? Why would he include that? Well, um, because those were the gods of navigation, okay? This was the, the gods of Castor and Pollux. They were twin gods under the constellation of Gemini, and... And Gemini was considered good fortune to the sailors and then these two gods in front of the ship would have been uh, saying, Hey, we want you to get us safely to our voyage. And so Luke here, I believe, kind of sarcastically is including this detail in here to say, Listen, here, you know, they, they got to Rome. Now, remember what had just happened. They had just spent a shipwreck, they were going through a shipwreck. They had to be wintered there. They went through, you know, Paul being bit by a snake and all this stuff. And speaking of that instance, go back in chapter 28 and verse number. 4, it says that when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea justice, or though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And so they said that one of the gods, even though he escaped the sea, escaped the shipwreck. One of these other gods was bringing judgment upon him. So they're looking to these other gods here. It doesn't stop there. Verse five, like Pastor Michael talked about last week. However, he shook the off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I love verse six. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. Thanks, guys, for the help. Appreciate that. Okay? So they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. So here we have Luke putting in his account here uh, these references to people giving credit to false deities and I think he's doing this as a way of, of irony, as a way of sarcasm, of just hinting to his readers and saying, listen, we know how that Paul gets to Rome. We know that it's not because the, the, uh, uh, he skirted the, the, the God justice. It's not because he himself is a God. We know it's not because of these twin gods uh, of Castor and Pollux on the ship. We know that that's not why that he got to Rome. It's because God was unfolding His plan. And so we see this is that that there will always be the temptation to take credit away or to give credit to someone other than God. There will always be that temptation. And, And we are not above that. There will always be the temptation for us to think of if something good is happening in our church, it's because of our wisdom or our planning or it's because of our personalities or our skill or something like that. The the reality is, my friends, is that nothing can be further from the truth. God alone, if, if, if anyone's writing a chapter about our church and our story, may it please always include that God gets the credit and glory for anything that happens here. Because it is Him and Him alone. We often credit success in our own lives to maybe our financial savviness or our wisdom or our hard work ethic or our good parenting skills. Or if we're good students, because we're smarter, we have good study skills. We have good organizational skills. Is the reason why we're successful. What about our managerial skills? Now, to be true, to be fair, God uses and He gives those abilities. And if we have those abilities and those skills, we need to use them, and God expects us to use them. But be sure that we always need to recognize where they come from. If you are a good manager at work in your workplace, and you are a good leader, understand that that comes from God alone, and He deserves the credit and glory for that. If your children are are turning out well, be sure that you need to do the work and the hard work as a parent, but understand that in the end of the day, it is God who receives the glory if our children walk with Him. If, if we've done well in the world in any capacity at all, if we have good relationships, understand that we need to use the skill sets that God has given to us and we need to work hard at that, but understand ultimately God gets the glory and the credit. So anything good that can come from this church is because of God's gracious and His, His, His gracious working through us here. This verse I've memorized uh, several years ago and and this has been, I encourage you to memorize it too, Isaiah 42, verse 8. Now, I remember I memorized it in a different translation, so I may mess it up what's on the screen. But I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to any other, neither my praise to graven images. I would encourage you to memorize that verse. Isaiah 42, 8. You know, when we're tempted to start feeling our, our our chest start puffing up a little bit and we start thinking of pride in our lives of like, yeah, yeah, success, things are going well because I've done this and I've planned ahead and I've done this. I want Isaiah forty-two, eight to ring in your ears. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will I not give to any other, neither my praise to craven images. God alone deserves the glory. So if someone's writing a chapter about us and they're, they're ending their account about our church here like Luke is here, we must not get distracted and start putting attention to other gods or idols or our own wisdom. It must be always about giving honor and glory to God. There's a second thing, though, that I would love for, if our story is told that what might be said of us is that Christian fellowship is powerfully important to us. Now, did you see this? When he comes to Rome here, it says in verse 14, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And then they transferred, they walked into Rome and they came to Rome in verse 14. As I said, that's kind of a, an understatement there, considering the trip that he just had. It's, it's almost an understatement that, oh, they got to Rome finally. Well, they, they did get there. And then notice what happens here. It says in verse 15, then the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apatus in three taverns to meet us. Now look at the response. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I mean, think about what this had to do for Paul. Now we know that Paul didn't start the church in Rome and, and, and there's a lot of questions about when the church in Rome actually started. I think back in Acts uh, chapter 2 in Pentecost, we know that there was visitors from Rome there at Pentecost when that event happened. And so my suspicion is that that's what they came back to Rome and they preached the gospel and they, they you know, reported what they saw and that's how the church started. We don't exactly know, but we do know that here when Paul first gets to Rome, there's already Christians there and it is encouraging him. I mean, think about the, 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 the journey that he's just coming off of. Is it worth it? He's tired. He's gone through, you know, shipwreck and, and uh, being deserted on an island and all, lots of travel woes. And then what brings some great encouragement? Brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I think that this is one of the reasons why we need to prioritize gathering as a, as a church family is because you know, we all have terrible weeks at times. We all have difficult weeks and and it's really difficult, and and, and to come in, and and to be with other believers, and to see them worshiping Christ in a few minutes here, we're going to be at the table together, we're going to be worshiping the table together, we're singing together, this is powerfully important to us, and my prayer is that that would be something that we always prioritize here. Now, I understand there's complexities and things like that, and and I'm not saying that anytime you miss church, you're sinning. That's not my point. I hope you don't take it that way. My point is, is that I pray that we are a church that prioritizes Christian fellowship and being together. And it's not just what you can get out of it, but think about how that you are a blessing to other people. And so just by virtue of showing up, many times you are an encouragement to people, I know I've shared this before, is sometimes people have asked me, they said, you know, how can we encourage you, pastor? And usually I say two words, show up. (laughs) You know, that is is encouraging to me. It's not because we're trying to get a certain number here or we're trying to, you know, get attendance records or anything. That's not the point. The point is that when we get together and we're hearing singing together and we're seeing people interact together and we're sharing each other's burdens and we're worshiping Christ together, that is immensely encouraging to other believers. And so, you know, in not just church attendance, small groups, things of that, Christian fellowship, you know, showing up to these things is not just about what you can get out of it, but it's also how you can be part of the encouraging environment. You see, this is what the author of Hebrews was talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, very familiar passage probably, but notice the context of it because usually we talk about verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, okay? And so it's like, hey, we need to be gathering together because Hebrews ten twenty-five tells us to. Very true and perfect statement. However, notice the context of it. The context of it is, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, we need to figure out how we're going to stir one another up. We're going to encourage one another up to love and good works. Then he goes to not neglecting meeting together. He says, that's how we do this. This is how we encourage one another to do good works and to live out the Christian life in love is by gathering together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so, we see from this text here, we see the pattern all of Scripture, but this very explicit text here is that there is, uh, uh, when we get together, there's just an encouraging environment that you are participating in, even if, you know, it's not so much about that you didn't get much out of that particular church service that day. That's going to happen at times. There's going to be times where, um, you know, maybe the sermon didn't really resonate. Maybe the songs weren't your favorite choices or something like that. Maybe you're just kind of having an off day or something like that. But understand that it's much more than that. Being together, being in Christian fellowship with one another is about you helping create the environment that's going to encourage other believers. So it's much more than just what can I get out of it. Of course, that is something that would be, uh, uh, we hope that everyone gets something out of each church service. But it's not always, that's not always going to happen. Just for various reasons. And so like when people tell me, they're like, you know, um, you know, I know I haven't been to church in a while or something like that, you know, under normal circumstances. And they'll say, but I listen to your sermons online. You know, some people say that. And I'll say, and I, and I always tell them, listen, here's, here's, you need to understand this. That my sermons is not the main reason why you're coming to church. Okay, it, it, I mean, you can listen to sermons all the time. I mean, there's so many sermons out there, so if that was the main reason, then we'd never even have to come because you could just listen to sermons all the time and, and by better preachers too, so you could definitely do that, but that's not the main reason why you're part of a church family. That's not the main reason why you gather together is to listen to a sermon, although that's a big part of it, okay, because I'm trying to encourage us right now and give us, uh, so we're learning together and we're you know, going through the same things together. There's lots of value to that. It's about you being with the other believers. And so this is why when Paul, he comes to Rome, and he's had a terrible last three months. He has had a terrible last few years. And he gets to Rome because God has told him he's going to get to Rome, and he gets to Rome there. And what does he see there? He sees brothers and sisters coming out to meet him. And what does Luke, the careful theologian and the careful historian, what does he say? He says he took courage. It was just a, you have, you have no idea, by you sometimes even just being here, how that can be an encouragement to someone else, or you being part of a small group, or you interacting with other believers, because this has to spill outside the church service as well, of course. You have no idea how just a simple conversation, or a card in the mail, or, uh, or, or some type of effort in Christian fellowship, how that is going to be effective to them. Now, not every relationship is going to be close, or we're not going to have, you know, uh, uh, all vulnerability and best friends in the church, and sometimes the people, they, they don't develop that super close relationship, and so they bail on it. But we're not designed to have a ton of super close, highly vulnerable relationships. And God doesn't ask that of us, but He does tell us to be part of an encouraging community. And so that encouragement comes when we sing together. Their encouragement comes when we share prayer requests and we pray for one another, when we share what God is doing in our lives and we hear what God is doing in other people's lives, that's encouraging to us. When we see baptisms and on May 23rd, Lord, Lord willing, we're going to have a, a baptism service here. And so if, if, if you want to be baptized or you have questions about that, you want to join in on that, let me encourage you, talk with me about it, talk with one of the elders. We'd love to, to talk to you about that. You know, that's encouraging. So on the 23rd, Lord willing, when we see someone up there get baptized, right, you know, uh, uh, that's going to be an encouraging moment to our church, right, okay? You got to be here for that. Lord's Supper, okay? This is one of the reasons why we do this is because Christian fellowship is powerfully important. So when our story is told, may it be said of us that this was an incredibly uh, important and powerful uh, uh, part of our existence. I need to move on. There's a third thing I love for us to be said of us when our story is told is that Jesus is our favorite topic. Did you notice when I read in, in verse 21, Paul, uh, uh, he's gathered the leaders together, and he tells them uh, all what's happened, and they say, we don't even know what you're talking about. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. That's, that, 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 that's, almost, that's pretty humorous to me. He says, we don't know what you're talking about, but verse 22 We desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to the sect that we know that everywhere is spoken against. So they said, listen, we don't know what you're talking about as far as these people wanting to throw you in jail and stuff, but we've heard about this this religion, okay, that's, that's popping up and it's being spoken against. Tell us about that, okay? What does Paul do at that moment? He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about religion and the structure. What does he do? Look at verse 23. They appointed a day for him. It says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying about what? The kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law and the prophets. And then in verse 30, he says that Luke, he ends the books by saying that he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so this was, Jesus was Paul's favorite topic here. He loved talking. He was asked to talk about a religion and he's talking about Jesus. He's talking uh, uh, about what Jesus has done, and uh, uh, he just cannot stop but talking about it from morning till evening. You look at all of Paul's sermons, he's always going back to Jesus. You look at the, uh, the sermons in the book of Acts and the speeches in the book of Acts, it ultimately comes back to Jesus. And the reason why is because Jesus is the f- most important uh, uh, topic we could ever talk about. But here's the other reason, is this. Whatever we love the most, we talk about the most. Whatever we love the most, we find it the easiest to talk about, okay? And so here, Paul, he, you know, he's not going to talk about all the religion and all the stuff and, you know, how they do this and do that and everything. He says, you need to know about Jesus. There, there is no religion without Jesus. So we're going to talk about Jesus. We're not going to talk about why all this stuff is bad over here and everything. No, we're, I'm going to, let, let me walk you through the law, let me walk you through the prophets, and I want you to see Jesus here. I want you to see how Jesus fulfills these things. And so, he, he, you know, the question that I would have for us today is, does Jesus so capture our attention and interest that we can't help but talk about Him? And we so capture our interests and so capture our affections and so capture our, our uh, attention that, that, that we just love talking about Him and what He's done for us and what He's doing in this world. So let me just encourage us that this, this is what is going to be a sign of a healthy church is if we love Jesus Christ, okay? And not just intellectually, not just like, okay, yes, I know He died for my sins, of course. But that's got to spill over into what we talk about, right? Um, you know, it, 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 there's, there's uh, I love talking with little kids sometimes, right, okay, and, and, and kids can have this, and I, I've, I've ministered to kids for a long time, and then I teach, uh, 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 you know, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade at a school, and so I, I love, I love, I love kids, but here's the deal, you know, one of the things with kids is, like, if you tell them something, okay, if you say, hey, we're going to hit Culver's sometime this week for ice cream, or Custard, excuse me. Okay, okay. If if, if we're gonna if we're gonna we're, we're gonna do that, you tell that to a child. That is all that child will think about, right? I mean, every when are we gonna go? When are we gonna go? When are we gonna go? Right? okay? Um, is today. Well, I don't think we can do it today. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? Okay. Uh, possibly tomorrow. Okay. And it's almost like, like hey, yeah, we got to get this written down here. Okay. You know, if my people need to talk with your people, we're going to get this thing nailed down, right? Okay. We got to get this nailed down when we go into Culver's, right? Okay. This is what the kids love. They have something in their mind that is the most important thing in the world to them, and they will just continue to talk about it until you're finally saying, okay, we're going to Culver's, right? You know, I've got to believe that we should learn from that in some ways. You know, not be as annoying, okay, okay? Don't be as annoying about it. But, but we, we've got we to gotta learn from that, that, that whatever is most important to us, we are going to freely talk about it. So if Jesus is difficult for you to talk about, you think about that, okay? Think about why would it be that Jesus would be so hard for you to talk about? I don't understand it if Jesus is, is, is the one who died for you and he's given everything for you and he loves you and, he, and he's, he's ministered to you and He's, he's, he's ever lives to make intercession for you if you're a believer in Christ and you, your whole hope is on him and, and you say, you know, I know that I can only get to heaven through him and what he did on the cross and, and my only hope is in him. If you truly believe that, why in the world is he so difficult to talk about? And so Paul, was like every conversation he had, it was, man, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. It didn't matter if he felt like he was gonna be ostracized, it didn't matter if he felt like he was gonna be looked down upon, it didn't matter if he thought he was gonna lose his freedoms or his his job, it didn't matter if he thought he was gonna lose his his life, he was gonna talk about Jesus. You say, Well, you know, he's an apostle, he's a preacher, you know, that's not me, that's not my calling. On what basis do you have that opinion? On what basis do you formulate that opinion that, well, that's okay for Paul, but it's not my responsibility either. Of course, we need to be winsome. Of course we need to be wise and all that stuff. I, I get it. I know some of the arguments are going through your head right now. I get it. I get it. But the major point is this: if we truly love Jesus, we're going to talk about him. And may it be said of us that this was a topic that we just love to talk about all the time, because Jesus so captured our attention and our interest that we couldn't help but talk about him. There's one more. May it be said of us, if our story is told. That our story is ultimately not about us. Back in 28 here, in verse 21, he says, he's told them, hey, the Jews, he's given them the, the, the thumbnail sketch of what's happened and, and why he's wearing the chains." Verse 21, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of your brothers coming here have reported to spoken any evil about you. There's some irony here of that they have no idea what Paul is talking about. When he gets there. Now, there's some reasons for that. Probably Paul was on one of the first ships there. Uh, we can trace that, and there's some reasons. Probably the people haven't come yet and everything, but the fact that there was no word at all or something is, is kind of surprising to me, honestly, when I'm reading this, is that they hadn't heard anything about it. Part of it is because the people there in Jerusalem knew that they didn't have a strong case at all against Paul. I mean, Felix and Festus had both had said that uh, he was innocent. Agrippa had also said that as well, and so three leaders had heard Paul's case and said, listen, he's not done anything worthy of death. He's not done worthy of imprisonment and things like that. And remember, uh, Agrippa had said, listen, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would have set this guy free. And so they knew that their case against him was flimsy, against Paul was flimsy, the, the, the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem. They knew that he probably wouldn't be uh, captured so or, or, or uh, put to death. They knew their best case was probably to deal with him in Jerusalem. And this is the reason why they also made two different attempts to ambush him and kill him him right because they knew that he probably would be acquitted okay so there was a, a weak case they probably dropped it they probably didn't give uh, all the information they probably didn't pursue it there's lots of theories about that but that's probably one of the reasons why these people didn't hear anything about it but to, to Paul this was the thing in the foremost of his mind of what these people were doing the case against him he was going to stand before Caesar and all this and proclaim Christ before Caesar in this way and they say we haven't heard about this yeah, we don't really know anything about your situation. That's got to be like, that had to be it's, it, simultaneously surprising, refreshing, and also a humility check as well. Like, wait, you, you don't know about me? He's like, I, we don't, we've heard kind of about this religion. We don't know anything about you. You know, and so we have that. But also, not just that, um, uh, we know that uh, um, uh, the way Luke ends this uh, I think this is this is the answer to why Luke ends us. See, Luke could have shared more, as I said before. He he knew at least something happened after this two years time. So, it, 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 like I said, in order for him to know that two years ended, that he had to know something had happened there. So, why did Luke end it here? Why you, there's so many questions? Did did Paul stand before Caesar? Did, was he killed? Was he set free? Luke doesn't say why. I believe here's the reason is because Luke's story isn't primarily about Paul. It's about the powerful spread of the gospel. And the whole point was for it to get to Rome. The whole point was for it to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the othermost ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. That was the point. And so here, now we're in the center of the most the, the, the biggest empire of the world and at the center of that in Rome the gospel is there and and, and, and Paul is preaching there and so Luke says mission accomplished We don't need to talk about what happened to Paul after this. We don't need to talk about what happened to anything else because my point isn't Theophilus, he's writing to Theophilus. He says, My point isn't to give you a biography of the Apostle Paul. My point is to prove to you that the gospel is powerful and that it can spread. The the messenger may be in prison, but the gospel is spreading. Did you notice how it ends? The the very last word in the original text here is unhindered. Actually, it's unhinderedly. Uh, In here, in our English, it's without hindrance but the very last word here this is how Luke ends his book and here's what he's saying he's saying that the message of the gospel the messenger of the gospel is in chains he's in prison he's bound up but the gospel itself is unhindered that's a powerful contrast that's what he's trying to say here it's not about whether or not Paul stands before Caesar it's not whether or not he gets free or he dies It's about the powerful spread of the gospel. It may be said of us that we're not so concerned about our own personal legacies. Because our ultimate story is not about us. It's ultimately about God and the power of the gospel. And that it's spreading from this church to this city, to this state, to this country, to this world, right? May that be said of us as we look at the powerful spread of the gospel. So our story isn't ultimately about us. It's about God's plan being unfolded, and our small part in it should not be about making names for ourselves. It should be about pointing people to Jesus Christ. So if someone's going to write a story about us, these are the things I would love for them to say about us. But I know you're curious. What did happen to Paul, right? Well, let me just summarize that, and then we'll worship the Lord at the table. Um, We know that during this time, uh, from church history and from other books, we know that it was during this time that Paul's going to write four New Testament books. He's going to write the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so most likely he's here during this house arrest imprisonment. This house arrest by uh, this imprisonment that he's in, he's he's chained to... uh, Uh, Guard, but it's under uh, good circumstances. I mean, he's got freedom. People can come to him uh, and he can preach, he can teach, he can write. Uh, Most likely, he was very much uh, uh, unhindered while uh, they were waiting this two year time to see what's happened uh, with the legal system. Uh, There's probably a backlog, and so that's probably part of the reason. And then uh, there's lots of talk, scholars talk about an 18-month um, uh, window uh, where if the accusers did not come within 18 months, the, the case automatically went to the defendant. The only problem with that theory is that, that that's not written in legal code until many years later on in the Roman Empire. And so we don't know that that's for sure or not. But we do know that he had a lot of freedom here in this imprisonment. And so he writes those four books. We also know by piecing it together when we read those four books that people came to visit him. We know that Timothy came uh, and was with with Paul in Rome uh, for for part of the time. We know Epaphroditus brought a gift from the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, we read about that. Epaphras comes from Colossae with a report about the church in Colossae. Uh, Mark uh, comes to him. Jesus, Justus, Demas, Luke, Aristarchus. They all come to Paul during this time that we can piece together from uh, the different books that are written later on. Church Tradition says that Paul is going to be released after about two years. And uh, he does a bit more travel. There's a uh, an unwritten about fourth mission journey that uh, most uh, early, early, early church records talk about. How Paul uh, went to Spain and uh, maybe even back to the island of Crete, uh, because we don't really have much about Titus in here. But uh, we do know that he left Timothy. Or, excuse me, Titus in Crete, and so most theologians think that after he was released here, the case was dismissed. And he writes these letters during the house arrest. He's dismissed, and he goes on some more missionary journeys. But then he's captured again. And the reason why we know that, because the last book he's going to write is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, he writes about horrific prison conditions, and so it's much different than the prison conditions here. And then tradition, church tradition says he was executed under the reign of Nero. And so that's how how, how, uh, Paul's story, we think, ends. But I go back to the fact that Luke ends his account by saying that's not the purpose. The purpose isn't to give a biography of any of the apostles. It's about the powerful working of the gospel. And so let me ask you, is the gospel working in your life powerfully? It's unhindered. Nothing can chain the gospel. That's the point of the book of Acts, is that Luke is saying, Theophilus, you can have confidence in Jesus Christ because nothing can stop his good news you can tie up you can chain up you can kill the messengers but it will be unhindered unhindered the gospel is unhindered may it be said of us that we uh, um, uh, are passionate about God getting all the glory I'm just going to review these points You may it be said of us that we are passionate about God getting all the glory May we prioritize Christian fellowship. May we talk about Jesus often. And may we remember that our lives are ultimately about God and his plan and not about us.